0: The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen centric government? This is my- for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy.
1: And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. There are a whole lot of people in politics and in the media whose purpose is to inflame your passions rather than to reason with you. And boy, have we had a week of that. Between Virginia and the Bezos mess and the State of the Union that we'll talk about a little bit later, um, we have had a lot of stirring of the pot And beneath all of that, the ongoing negotiations about funding homeland security. This morning's papers, the Washington Post reports this morning that those talks have broken down. So batten the hatches or do what I'm going to suggest next. You know I come every week to try to give you information to try to enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on your judgment. I tend to kind of agree with President Trump that right now the, the Democrats would love to have a distraction from Virginia and a few other little scandals. The, uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about it a little bit, but the new Green Deal among them. Uh, they'd like to change the subject. And so he may not be completely wrong that they're driving such a hard bargain. They're so resistant to barriers uh, because they think a quick government shutdown again might change the subject. We're not going to let them do that. I urge you, get on the phone. I don't care who represents you. Uh, All three of them are Democrats. Democrats that all three of them have razor-thin margins. Well, not Ro Khanna so much, but the other two, Zoe Lofgren and the person who just um, defeated, um, uh, who just won the 10th district uh, uh, in um, Los Banos, et cetera. Um, those Those people need to hear from you. You don't want long lines at the airport, et cetera. Take the time. Make a phone call. Send a quick email. Hell, tweet. We we need to keep the pressure on Congress to do what is Congress's job. Article 1. Article 1. They are the more powerful branch of government under the Constitution. Let's make them do their job. No budget. No pay. For them. Not for everybody else. And on to... The news of the week, well, you know, several of you last Sunday were first-time callers. And I've not yet posted that podcast partly because um, I auto-post from Reimagine America to the Facebook Reimagine America site. Um, And you know what? They blocked, first they wanted me to boost and then they blocked the boost of Eric Early's interview. I can't get that. If Eric and I were not talking about the most basic and fundamental rights of an American citizen, I don't know what we were talking about. But we're in Facebook jail. So I haven't posted last week's um, uh, podcast, which I will post to the Reimagine America radio hour, but I will not post to Facebook because I don't want to go from jail to prison, Um And we will get it posted for you this week. But I have to do some technical stuff to make that happen on just one site. So if you weren't here last week because you were busy with the Super Bowl and you want to hear a discussion about race in America and race relations from the mouths of the listeners of everyday citizens, I'm going to urge you um, Wednesday of next week, go hit the Reimagine America radio hour. We will not be deterred from telling the truth. Not by Facebook, not by anyone, especially not Facebook. Um, but I.
0: Just, just so you know, the podcast is available on the KTRB site. So at 8:60 a.m., The Answer, that podcast, that episode is, is up. To be, so people can hear it there.
1: Yeah, we well can go to 8:60, The Answer, um, podcasts, and then float down to where you see my picture and the one on the top will be that that podcast. Of course, I prefer that you go to the Reimagine America website cuz we do count clicks. <laughs> um <clears throat> but I'm I'm uh, we're we're uh, off track here. So, to the back to the to the business at hand. As a businesswoman, I focus on the numbers and in the numbers this week we are going to repeat where we left off last week. Not just because of the size, but the importance and the lesson in two huge drug busts last week 254 pounds of fentanyl uh, seized in in Arizona and two tons of of cocaine in Genoa, Italy. And there was a third bust this week. $60 billion, $60 billion is the Chinese, Chinese investment in Venezuela. 2004, uh, or what am I saying, 2024 or sooner. Chris Christie is not finished yet. 14 pages of blather, total and complete (gasps) innocuous blather is the democratic socialist green new deal or as Nancy Pelosi said with a wave of her imperious hand. The green dream or something. And, and, and I think that is, um, that is really, if this were television, I'd be giving you the same hand gesture. You can just dismiss it. But you can't dismiss it. You can't dismiss it because too many people are seizing on that, according to the polling. And they're saying, yes, we should do this because they have no idea what's in it but we're gonna talk about what's in it. But I digress. Let's talk for just a couple minutes about what really happened on the Arizona border last week. Border Protection and Customs. That's their new name, Border Protection and Customs. Can you repeat that quickly 10 times? Okay, seized a total of 650 pounds of narcotics, including 254 pounds of fentanyl, a week ago this past Thursday. Um, 254 pounds of fentanyl, the rest of that shipment, so, you know, about a little less than 400 pounds, were methamphetamines. This is the biggest fentanyl bust ever. By border agents, and the third largest methamphetamine seizure as well. And let's talk about the two things that are remarkable. The truck was flagged for secondary inspection. Something about the truck made the border protect- protection agent think Customs should take a look at it. You know, I'm pretty familiar with the Mariposa crossing, and it's <laughs> because I used to run the other way with a, on a Don't tell Hertz on a rental car because you sign a waiver and you say you won't do that. Um, But I was working at that time with a Michaela Dora down in in Mexico in my Unisys career. In any case, we digress. For some reason, that agent was suspicious about the cucumber-filled truck. And so he referred it to secondary inspection, and that secondary inspection was manual. And they just found something about the floor of the truck that made them uncomfortable. So then they did a scan and they said, yeah, that that flooring is really not the way it's supposed to be, and then they sent in the canine, and the canine hit on the fentanyl. Now, that dog should get a prize, more than just a couple extra cookies because there was enough fentanyl there, and we're gonna have to take a break here real quick, so I wanna leave you with a really important number. There was enough fentanyl, Customs Protection executives say, to have killed, killed 121 million people. Think about that for a second. 254 pounds of fentanyl confiscated, could have saved millions of lives. Give that dog an extra cookie. And we'll be back in just a minute to carry on with this conversation and a little more talk about the New Green Deal.
0: You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM. The Answer Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy.
1: And we're back with our staggering potential loss of life. If you want to know how how dangerous fentanyl is, can you imagine? It could have, there was enough there, not saying it was going to happen, there was enough there to kill 121 million people. So. Kudos to that doggy. Now, my doggy might have stopped to sample the cucumbers on the way to the goods because he really likes cucumbers, but that's, that's just an aside. What's most important about this bust is what it illustrates, what it tells us about how much more effective the border protection and customs service could be since most drugs come through the legal ports of entry, how much more effective they could be if they had the 300 million dollars, not 5.7, 300 million, which in a four trillion dollar national budget is just above a rounding error, to buy scanning equipment so that every single truck that goes through the Mariposa crossing, or the El Paso crossing, or the McGolon crossing, Every single truck for $300 million, every single truck within a year could be completely scanned and x-rayed. And it wouldn't eliminate the drug traffic, but it sure would slow it down. Lives could be saved. We're losing 70,000 plus people a year to illicit drugs most of them flowing over that southern border, regardless of what their point of origin is. So just think about that. Instead of arguing over slats and concrete for a fraction for less than, for about 8% of that barrier money, and I'm not saying we don't need barriers, but for about 8% of that money, we could make a major dent in the drug traffic. Why is it so difficult for Republican and Democratic members of Congress and the President to come together on that issue? His professional border protection service wants that money. They say that is a priority for them. So again, I'm urging you to contact your congressperson and tell them it's time to vote for border security whether you contact a Republican or a Democrat. But that's not the only bust that was interesting. I thought the Italians not only using scanning equipment found a shipment um, of a couple of tons of cocaine worth uh, an estimated 500 million, that's five zero zero million dollars Uh, in a shipping container in Genoa, Italy. And you know what they did? They took the cocaine, they took the the container off the ship, they took the cocaine, they emptied the containers, they refilled them with bags of salt and sent them on to the um, eventual destination, which was in Barcelona, Spain, and they rounded up the whole drug traffic gang. I thought that was a really clever way solve that problem. Um, So I'm, you know, again, they had scanning technology and that's what they used. And there was another um, uh, shipment confiscated. And by the way, that cocaine came out of Honduras. Um, And there was another shipping container in um, the, in North Africa this week that was found also was South American cocaine. um, That was another very significant about $250 million. Drug um, interdiction, and it proves once again, and for the last time, that if we appropriated the three hundred million dollars that the Border Protection and Customs Service is asking for for scanning equipment, every car and every truck at every port of entry would get scanned. Now, if you eliminate the ability to bring drugs drugs in at the of entry, you're you're not going to stop it completely, but you're going to let Border Patrol uh, focus more manpower and and technology resources on the areas where somebody might try to interdict, uh, might want to try to cross the border, the border uh, illegally with a shipment of um, cocaine of that of that size or or. Uh, um, fentanyl of that size, and it wouldn't be hard to catch them using drones, etc. So you want to focus your resources, but let's stop the big flow through the ports of entry. And that's enough on border security. You know, again, um, I'm going to urge you to contact your congressperson in the next couple of days and say, we don't want a shutdown. We want compromise, and let's focus on the things we know will work. And that starts with um, with scanning, uh, with 100 percent scanning at the ports of entry. You know, we've been watching another crisis uh, in uh, Central America that may create more caravans coming north, and that is Venezuela. I'm going to applaud President Trump and the leaders of the Organization of American States, the U.S. European Union and others for standing for democracy and humanity and humanity and in protecting innocent civilians from graft and corruption and uh, manipulation and 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 virtual imprisonment. I mean, when you will not when when Maduro will not allow caravans of relief supplies to reach his people, he is. He's a murderer. His people are starving in Venezuela. Middle class people, you know. I have friends who come from there. The stories are awful. And you know who's supporting Maduro? <laughs> Russia, China, and Cuba. China alone, pursuing their uh, global dream, their um, their uh, belt highway, uh, their their global economic um, dominance uh, goals, okay, have a, have an, uh, you? they use economics in poorer countries as a way to infiltrate them. So they've lent the Maduro regime about $60 billion. And you know how they get repaid? They get repaid in oil shipments. You know, there's nobody who uses more dirty coal and dirty oil than the Chinese. The money's been used... You know, the money, that $60 billion. Do you think the people of Venezuela got that money and their wages went up and there were more goods in the stores and they had medicine, et cetera? Heck no. With that $60 billion, Maduro bought Chinese armaments. Now, who was he at war with? His own people. Think about that for just a second. The good news is that under the new interim government that's being formed in venezuela the chinese will likely never see their money again yay and that will make them a little more cautious about how they try to invest quote unquote in central america it's called buying influence and then there's russia And its efforts to create a military base in Venezuela, yes, yes, the Russians have been landing heavy bombers while our attention's been focused elsewhere in the news, but they've been landing heavy bombers in Venezuela it It reminds me of the Cuban military crisis during the Kennedy administration. Um, I'm not old enough to understand the details I've read about it, but I do understand I do remember the absolute fear that we felt um, as as Kennedy confronted the Russians over their attempts to infiltrate um, Cuba. And just yesterday, Maduro opened a new bank account for customers who buy his oil, they can now remit their payments through Gazprom, the Russian oil bank. So I'm really pleased that somebody in the White House read the Monroe Doctrine since 1823 when President Monroe issued the Monroe Doctrine We've basically said European powers do not belong in the Americas, nor do Asian powers. And so Trump, despite his tepid and inadequate responses to Russian aggression, seems to understand the importance of upholding the Monroe Doctrine in concert with the Organization of American States. And we've got to do whatever it takes to make sure that we get food and medicine, whether by air or by truck to the Venezuelan people. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about something more cheery. Chris Christie.
0: Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer.
1: Well, I think it's time for something more cheerful. How about we take a couple minutes and talk about Chris Christie's new book? I mean, it is a bestseller. It reads like a really good novel. Um, took me about a day to read it. Um, and so now you won't have to because I'm going to give you the high points. Okay? Let Me Finish is a great read. If you really enjoy, you know, I mean, it's just beautifully written. Um, and you know what? I don't really think it was so much written as, as um Spoken into uh, either Word or some other similar package because it it you can hear Christie's voice coming off the pages. It's a pretty honest book. It talks about his childhood, um, which is not all Irish. He's half Italian. I never knew that. Um, but it talks about his relationship with, you know, with God, etc., through his Italian grandmother. It talks about. Um, his relationship with his wife, it was not—and they married very young, and they had to kind of grow up together, and that was a struggle. Um, and then it talks a lot about his career um, as a private attorney, as a U.S. attorney, uh, his first failings in politics, and then his successes. Um, and and, and it, it, the only place that that book holds back is when he talks about Donald Trump— and as you read the book and you read the things that happened, you, you got to say, with friends like Trump, I don't really think Christie needs enemies. So in a frank exchange with Stephen Colbert, um, which was one of the better press appearances uh, to sell to shill this book, he's quite honest about it. Um, and there was a little tequila involved. I mean, I don't know if it was, you know, they, they took shots, so I don't know if it was really tequila or tea, because it neither of them sounded like they'd had any. Um, but it, it, it created an openness. It created an, an openness for a rather frank discussion. It was more the real Chris Christie than we have seen for quite some time, including his appearances on ABC. So... Asked how he, how he, as a very successful former attorney, felt about Trump's ceaseless attacks on the Justice Department, remember that his time as a U.S. attorney was his ticket to the governor's mansion in um, Trenton, and and his biggest successes were not um, in in mob prosecution except that most of the politicians in New Jersey at that time behaved like mob bosses and he put about a hundred of them in jail. He cleaned up politics in New Jersey along with a very successful developer by the name of Charles Kushner. Oh yeah. So I can't I can't quite wrap my head around why, uh, putting the fact that that the trumps and the and the uh, Christie's were social friends, um, you know, you have to think about why did this very successful, very tied to uh, establishment Republicans. I mean, the darling of establishment Republicans during his time as chair of the governor's, um, of the GOP Governor's um, Association. How did he come to be an early supporter of Donald Trump? And I think it's best if you hear it in Chris Christie's own words.
2: As a former federal prosecutor, you must have some faith in the Justice Department and the FBI. How do you feel when the president, in no uncertain terms, uh, undermines the power of the Justice Department and the FBI by being the most powerful man and the head in the government and going so-called justice. Like, what, what does that do to you? How does that, that does, does that hurt you professionally or your pride as someone who believes in this country
3: and believes in our justice system? It, it hurts me more personally, and I've told him that. Um, that you know, my experience with the men and women of the FBI when I was U.S. Attorney, and my experience with almost every U.S. Attorney I worked with. Um, in the years that I did it, was that these are men and women who are sacrificing a lot, love the country, and do a job that needs to be done. And you don't get anywhere by doing that kind of stuff. And so I've been really clear with them about that. And I've said that publicly, too, that like, it just doesn't help. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it hurts. And if we don't have a justice system that the American people have confidence in, we've lost a huge part of our democracy, mm-hmm. and it's just unacceptable.
2: That seems like a big part of our country yeah. for... That seems like an extraordinarily important thing for the president of the United States to be undermining. Do you feel like he is now still two years in? Yeah, that's the right guy for this job at this time. Who the president? Yeah. Well, I mean Do you uh, <laughs> do you regret at all? Do you regret at all helping this man get elected? And I'll join you. I'll join you on this one. Now, uh, Yeah, good question. Here okay. we go. Okay.
3: What'd you say?
1: Do
2: oh, you regret... No, listen... Do you I, regret, uh, uh, no, getting I, Donald Trump, made, helping get elected?
3: I made a decision at the time that I thought he was going to win the nomination after I dropped out. And that I preferred him to Hillary Clinton. And that's why I made the decision. It wasn't a whole lot more complicated than that, mm-hmm. and I still agree with what his policies are more than I agree with Hillary Clinton's. Mm-hmm. So you know we're going to see what he does the next two years. What policies are those, by the way? Well, you <laughs> because know,
2: I understand tax cuts, right? But any Republican, you know, would but but have he done was
3: going to be the Republican, Stephen. I mean, this is the this is the joke. I ran. I understand that from campaigning that he was gonna win the nomination. After South Carolina was over, Mm -hmm. state you're familiar with, right? So he loses Iowa by a whisker to Mm -hmm. Cruz. He wins New Hampshire two to one. Mm -hmm. And then he wins South Carolina by double digits. It's over. I mean, forget it. Everybody else should have gone home then. Mm -hmm. It was over. So then it was gonna be a binary choice. It was gonna be either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. So he was the Republican who was going to give tax Uh cuts, who was going to deregulate, who was going to put more conservative justices and judges on the courts that I prefer, Mm -hmm. um, and was going to, I think, negotiate better trade deals. And I think he has done that with Mexico and Canada and not so much with some of the other folks Mm -hmm. yet. So (laughs) on the policy side of it, I like much of what he's done. And the things I disagree with, I say I disagree with them. Do
2: you still think he really is... I mean, he is the Republican Party now. The Republicans are 100% yeah, I mean, listen, behind him. Is he really a Republican? Because one of the things we wanted to have, because tonight was supposed to be the State of the Union, right. I-, I wanted you to come on here not only to sell your fantastic book, Let Me Finish, but also
3: <laughs> to be to be the Republican response to the Republican president. Right. <laughs> no, listen, he has turned the Republican Party into something different than it was when I started to run for president.
1: And I think that's a fair statement, Um and of, of both uh, where the Republican Party is, where the electorate is, um, and why uh, – and, and it, it adds to the complexity of um, Trump and Christie's continuing relationship. Now, one could be a cynic and say ABC is paying Christie a ton of money to be the Trump whisperer on their – Uh, political panels on Sunday morning with George Stepanopoulos Um, or we could uh, believe as I do that Chris Christie really is two things a patriot and an ambitious politician and on that note think about that hold that thought and we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy.
1: And we're back. And let's talk about Chris Christie, the patriot, and yes, the super ambitious politician. And it may help to explain why he still talks to... Uh, Donald Trump every couple of weeks and had uh, lunch with Donald and Melania just before Christmas. Uh, Mary Pat chose not to attend. I'm kind of with Mary Pat with friends like Trump. I'm not sure you need enemies. So here's a quick litany of what happened. Uh, Again, you want the details, read the book. It's a fabulously interesting narrative. Um, But through the campaign, Remember this is the sitting Governor of New Jersey. This is a guy who has his hands full governing one of the most um uh corruption prone states in the union and trying to keep them on the straight and narrow and trying to reduce taxes and trying to make the trains run on time and the snow get uh, the the streets get plowed, et cetera, and dealing with the aftermath of sandy and and you know just a host of of issues um, that a governor of a large state um, de- deals with daily uh, <clears throat> plus Bridgegate. And yet, when asked to chair the transition team, highly opposed by Jared Kushner, there's an incredible scene in the book about Kushner, Jared Kushner's confrontation of Christie in front of Trump when he was, they were discussing the transition team. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's interest, it The reading of what Kushner did is interesting enough. Um, I won't go into it because you really should read Let Me Finish. <clears throat> but he did the transition. Well, the sitting governor... He raised a million bucks to fund the things that are not funded by the government under the law. He gathered 140 volunteers. These were establishment, these were high-ranking members of uh, the Reagan and Bush 41, Bush 43 administrations. These were experienced people with private sector backgrounds, et cetera, who donated their time and created a first-day plan, uh, all based on the president's policies, a first-day plan, a first-week plan, a first-month plan, a first-year plan to enact all of those policies. All of the executive orders, everything was written in, you know, by lawyers who knew from their own experience in the Justice Department how to do this. It was 20 binders. The day after the election, um, <coughs> Steve Bannon calls – Christie, into his office and says, you're fired, you're out of here, go. And at that point, they threw all 20 binders, the full plan, in the trash. Now, that's why Christie wrote this book, because he's so frustrated, because he thinks he had a plan that would have made a remarkable difference for the economic, uh, social, and political direction of this country and it went into the trash can. They had four people ready for every single, you know, all vetted for every single cabinet post um, so that uh, the president would have a choice of qualified people. Now, two people who actually did end up in the Trump administration came from that list. One is Chris Wray, who, with whom, Uh, Christie has had a very long relationship. And the other one is uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Azar, who had been a very effective member of the Bush 43 administration um, and was a a very appropriate and um, low-key scholarly steward of um, the American health care system. But that's not where it ends. It gets better. Christie writes about being asked to be considered for the vice presidency, told by Trump on the telephone that it was, you know, I mean, he introduced Trump to Pence. And then as it came down um, and he knew there were that he carried certain kinds of political baggage for Trump um, to Northeasters, et cetera, you know, Trump kept telling him, oh, you know, it's going to be you. You know, I want you to be my vice president, blah, blah, blah. When did he find out he didn't get the job and how? When somebody walked into his office in Trenton and told him Pence was inbound to the Teeterboro Airport. Teeterboro is a New Jersey state airport. Oops. And Trump still said, oh, I haven't made a decision. With friends like this, folks. Do you need enemies? And that's not enough. He went through the same song and dance with both the attorney general's position and the chair of the Republican National Committee. And then he walked in and said goodbye. And Trump still offered him the secretary of labor job after um, after it was um Uh, after the first nominee, uh, a restaurateur, turned out to have um, sexual harassment problems in his background. And sitting at the dinner table, having dinner with um, his wife and two younger children, um, (laughs) Christie said no. And then he was invited to the White House in December to see if Melania could talk him in, to charm him into uh, taking on the chief of staff's job, which he He said, I I took the Excella home, called him and said, no, love you, but. You know, it really begs the question, why? Why do you keep going back when you know that the loyalty that you've shown, political in nature as it is, is not going to be reciprocated? Why do you do this, Chris? Well, you know, in Chris Christie's own words— Let's hear what he says, and then we'll talk about it for just a second more. We're here
2: with the author of the new book, Let Me Finish, Uh, Governor Chris Christie. Governor, uh, let me ask you this, Governor. Sure. You're friends with Trump for how long? 17 years. 17 years. Right. You say nice things about him all the time. I like him. Okay. What have you gotten out of the relationship? Because he doesn't seem... He demands loyalty. He doesn't seem that loyal himself. I I don't engage in friendships to get something out of it. But Trump is famously transactional in everything, including his friendships. He'll toss anybody under the bus... You think I don't know? Yeah. I'm the guy who got fired from the transition.
3: Right, but so then wh- how, wh- how do you still be friends with someone who shows no personal loyalty Listen, to you? Listen, the bottom line is that it's a lot of years. It's 17 years of a friendship, and I understand what politics is. I've engaged in it for a number of years of my life, and I understand that there are times when things happen in politics where you've got to be a big boy, pull your pants up, and walk away. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's because what Because
2: you just got spanked? No.
3: Mm-hmm. No. I don't. Know. I don't know. No, no. I said pull the pants up, not down. Yes, yeah, spanking's over. Spanking's no, no. over. No, no, no. You can go, no, no, no. Chris. No, no. You can go. No, no. no, no. Can go. no. no spanking. Get on the plane. No, no spanking. I got, I got kicked in the rear end out. Okay. Okay? And, and it's never a pleasant feeling to have that done to yourself. And sure. I, I wasn't happy about it. Sure. as I wrote in the book. But I'll tell you something else. The country's more important than any of this. I agree. And so why do I still try to help? Because we got one president at a time. And if I can do anything to make him better... If I can do anything that helps the country, that's my job to do. And it's more important than my ego. And it's more important than if I feel like I was slighted. And I I know that's kind of a nerdy way to look at it. But that's the way I look at it. Believe me, my wife ain't happy about it either. But at the end of it, the country's more important. And that's why I do it. And, you know, there's no other reason for me to do it. I'm not getting anything out of it.
2: Would you have been a better president than Trump? Yes.
1: Well, that's telling it like it is. And there you see the beginning of a 2024 candidacy. I think there are a couple of things that Donald Trump, uh, that, that uh, what am I saying, um, that Chris Christie will need to do if he really, although he denies it, thinks that 2024 is a possibility. It's clear he's not done yet. So if he wants to, if he wants to make 2024 a possibility, he will one, need to take moments like this to walk away, to, to back away from Trump. We we have a bad habit in this country of not liking people very much at the end of a second term. Um, he will need to lose some more weight. He's lost 100 pounds and he talks about that in the book. Um, he needs to lose some more weight and he's gonna have to really get out over the next five years Um, and and stake out some different political territory because he's too closely associated with Trump, um, and he's got to really put some distance between himself and Bridgegate. Yeah, I believe that he was not involved in Bridgegate, but as he says, it's his problem. It's his mistake. He chose that chief of staff. He put his trust in that chief of staff, and ultimately, therefore, he is responsible. So... Uh, I'm a big fan of Chris Christie's. I've had the great pleasure to meet him in a relatively small group uh, settings. Um, And I was present um, at a at a uh, dog and pony show at the beginning of the presidential run where he had like eight candidates or nine candidates uh, when Chris Christie finished his speech everybody was on their feet and there was not a woman in the room who had dry eyes. He's the best retail politician of his generation. So you know what? I don't think Chris Christie is finished. And we'll be back in just a couple moments with some closing thoughts.
0: To reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 8:60 a.m. The Answer.
1: One of the things I love and hate about this show is there's always more to talk about than there's time to talk about it. And so this week, that Green Deal might get carried over to next week. It, it really is um, kind of an exercise in comedy. Um, and and but the one thing I'm going to leave you with is that while I find um, some of the numbers to be have come um, from a mystery, um, I I am quite struck by the focus on domestic reindustrialization and family far uh, farms, as in Back to the Future. Um, don't laugh, but they want to eliminate air travel. And focus on rail. Now, if you live in Alaska, Hawaii, California, Washington, Oregon, I could go on. And and you you know that that would be uh, a bit inconvenient if your place of business was the capital in Washington. I would say. Um, so, I'm going to leave you with just that that point of a focus on domestic reindustrialization and. Um, self-supporting family farms and say, they have a lot in, tr- in common with Trump. There's an element, unintentional as it is, of um, really serious nationalism uh, and, and really a return to a bygone era uh, in these 14 pages of blather. But I tell you what, we'll talk about it in detail um, on another morning especially after I run down some of the details, uh, some some more of the numbers, of the real numbers, okay? And I know all of you wonder, hey, the State of the Union was this week. You didn't say anything about it, Joyce. Well, there was a reason for that. The only thing I found remarkable about the whole thing was the disunion, right up to the coven of white-draped Democratic women. I have to tell you, ladies, it was not a good fashion look. Not even on the ever elegant Nancy P. And I found did see a number of likes on a tweet that said that it was a fashion fail for uh, Alexandria Casa Cortez, um, the latest phenomena congressional phenomena. The focus was on disunion, both in the the uh, teeter totter up and down in the in the halls of Congress there as the speech was going on but the Democrats couldn't even get one focused message to respond to Trump. There was a pre by Kamala Harris, and there were three that I've found, there may have been more, uh, democratic responses. Stacey Abrams was the official. And actually, it's worth watching that if you find it on YouTube, uh, if you didn't watch the speech. Uh, Bernie Sanders, mm, Bernie, retire, please. And, and Xavier Becerra, our very own attorney general, ambitious, politically ambitious attorney general del- delivered his remarks in Spanish for Spanish language television. That was a first. And I have some issues with multiple languages in the political discourse of the country, but I digress. The important thing to remember is he gave basically the very same speech that he gave when he was the official response in 2007, a focus on health care, the cost of prescription drugs, and immigration reform. So the important thing that point that he made was, we keep going around and around and around about the same issues. And we never resolve them. And if we don't resolve them in the next two years, we need to reconsider why it was we sent Jeff Denham home, among others. Remember, ballot harvesting. So we'll be back next week. Um, I know that you know that I've been working on, um, you know, some guest shots that'll be really interesting on cyber and and. 5g and um, the possibility of an independent pre- uh, presidential run and what that would mean, etc. Um, we're working on scripts for those shows to get specific dates down. Um, in the meantime, if you've got a comment or a topic you'd like me to cover, send me an email at Joyce@reimagineamerica.org at or tweet me at Joyce Cordy. And if you want to hear a repeat of this show, Reimagine America Radio Hour, it will be posted tomorrow. You can hear it at the 860 site today. And we'll talk again next week. And until then, stay warm and stay dry.